welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Turn to Proverbs in the New Testament, the book of James. Sometimes it's called that. Very practical book because it's not a doctrinal book. It's not a book about apologetics. It doesn't mention the crucifixion. It doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. It is a very practical book about living out your faith. Faith, real believing faith functions. It's not dead. Just because you say you have faith, if it doesn't, it's not born out in your life, you need to take another look at it. James could be the very first book or the earliest book written that's in our New Testament. It's definitely written to Jewish Christians. It doesn't mention the Gentiles. It's so early, probably about 45 AD, something like that, just a a dozen years after Jesus was crucified, probably. Very practical, written to Jewish believers. These believers were new. They'd come out of Judaism. They'd followed Jesus. And so James makes it real clear what to do. This is, this is how it's born out in your life. It's one thing to believe in Christ, but that belief leads you to do something. And some of these believers were facing lots of different problems, bitterness and materialism and disunity and apathy, impatience. Who wrote the book of James? There's four men named James in the New Testament. One of them was the father they're little known. He was the, he was the, there was James, the son of Alphaeus. Actually, let me back up. James, the father of Judas, not Iscariot. We don't know anything about him. And then it was James, the son of Alphaeus, sometimes called James the Less. We don't know much about him either. And then there was James, the son of Thunder, the brother to John. And, and of course, he followed Jesus as one of the disciples. But, but that James was, mur- was, was, was uh, martyred before this book was written in all reality. It, it, probably he was martyred somewhere early 40s, and this book was written in 45 to 46, somewhere around in there. So who does that leave? The other James that's mentioned is the half-brother of Jesus. Believe it or not, and I know you do because there are various passages of Scripture that tell us that Mary and Joseph had other children. The Catholic Church doesn't believe this, but the fact is it's listed more than once as the brothers of Jesus. He actually had some sisters too, half-brothers. Now, you've got to remember Jesus had no earthly father, just an earthly mother. And so James is one of those listed. There were four brothers, half-brothers listed, and he's always listed first in the list. So it's probable that he was the oldest of the next children that were born. Obviously, Jesus was the firstborn. Now, that in itself brings some interesting thoughts to me. How many of you in here, let me see your hands, were not the firstborn? You had an older sibling. Okay, a lot of you. Most of you. Can you imagine having a perfect 
older brother. I wonder, I wonder if Mary ever said, can't you boys be like Jesus? I don't know that she ever said that, but if you think about it, having an older brother that never sinned would be interesting. It's also noteworthy that the family of Jesus, the half-brothers and sisters, did not believe who Jesus was until the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15, they are among the ones that he appears to. It's interesting that James, this James also became the pastor or the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the Christians there. He also sided with Paul at the Jerusalem council when there was a debate when the Gentiles were being saved, did they have to full, did they have to be circumcised? Did they have to follow the have to follow the law of the Jews. And, and James sided with Paul and said, that's not necessary. They're saved by the grace of God, not by the law. That's the guy who wrote this. The church historian Eusebius wrote about James, and I'm sure it was a, just a tradition, but they said that James spent so much time on his knees in prayer that his knees looked like camel knees. Now, I'm sure that's just the spirit of, that is described of James as a prayer, a man of prayer. It's not a literal description of him. But that's who wrote this early. And you'll notice at the very first verse, it says, greeting to the 12 tribes, James, a, a bondservant of God and of Lord Jesus Christ. He did not pull the half-brother of Jesus card. After all, we have the same mom. He didn't pull that. He just simply said, I'm a slave, born a slave to God. There are at least 15 indirect, sometimes direct quotes from the Sermon on the Mount in the book of James. In fact, there are more quotations or more uh, quotes from Jesus, or at least his teaching, than any other book of the New Testament, except for the Gospels. So James is very practical. You want a practical book. You want to know how faith is worked out. You're going to see it here because faith endures trials. It understands temptation. Real faith obeys the word of God. Real faith harbors no prejudice. Real faith displays itself in works. Real faith controls the tongue. Real faith acts wisely. It produces separation from the world. It provides the ability to resist the devil, and it's waiting patiently for the second coming of Jesus. All of that's in here. So today, we're going to get very practical. In fact, he pretty much starts off that way. Follow along as I read the first four verses. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. The 12 tribes many times is synonymous. Well, it is synonymous with Israel. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This was written many years ago, and some of you will remember it. Some of you can't remember it. Some of you never heard it, but so I'm going to read it. It's a letter in, to a, an insurance company. 
I'm writing in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more fully, and I trust that the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a 10-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Rather than carry them down by hand, I decided to lower them to the ground in a barrel using a pulley, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building at the 10th floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, loaded the 500 pounds of bricks, then went back down to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You'll note in block 11 of the accident reporting form that I weigh 135 pounds. (laughs) Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building, and on the vicinity of the fifth floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep in the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind, was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 30 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in block number 11 of the accident reporting form. (laughs) As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the fifth floor, I met that barrel coming up again. This accounts for the two fractured ankles and lacerations of my legs and lower body. The second encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks. And fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain and unable to stand, watching the empty barrel 10 stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind and I let go of the rope. You ever had a day like that? (laughs) I've heard that a hundred times and I still think it's funny. But you know what? I want to tell you something. Christianity is full of happy ending stories. Now, here's what I mean. A man says, my marriage was falling apart. My kids were rebelling. My business was going under. Then I met Jesus. Now my marriage is like it's the honeymoon every day. My kids are all, re- all obedient and following the Lord, and we did a million dollars worth of business last year. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Now, don't misunderstand me. He is wonderful. But just because you follow the Lord doesn't mean you're never going to have any trouble. In fact, Jesus himself said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. Now, 
I'm here to tell you that following Jesus is the best thing that'll ever happen to you. But when you commit your life to him, it's no guarantee that you won't ever have any difficulty. The guarantee is that he won't ever leave you in the difficulty. You'll notice that James says, count it or consider it all joy. Now that is a command. It's an imperative. Why would he command that? Because it's not natural. (laughs) It's just not. When bad things happen to you, what do you do? You whine just like everybody else, don't you? Oh, it's poor me, poor me. We don't naturally do that. So James says, listen, you can count it. You consider it joy when, not if, when it happens to you. I'm not being a pessimist, but I'm here to tell you, if you keep on living, there are going to be some difficult days come. There are going to be some trials come your way, some temptations come your way. Psalm 34 talks about a good man, his steps are ordered by the Lord, but it also many times in the Psalms says that I pray that the Lord would deliver me out of my trouble, not from my trouble. The Sermon on the Mount, you you remember Jesus talked about the man that built his house on the rock and the house on the sand. But what happened to both of them? The storm hit them. They both went through a storm. One of them stood, one of them didn't. The question is not if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And the word fall, interesting word, it means to be ambushed, to fall into something where you're surrounded by it all. Reminds me of one of my favorite stories. I've told you this before. Two men out in a field find a big hole in the ground, huge hole. They wonder how deep it is. They throw a rock in there. They listen to can't hear it hit the bottom. They need a bigger rock. So they get a bigger rock, and they throw it over there, and they listen. They still don't hear it at the bottom. They look around, and there's a railroad cross tie laying out here. They pick it up on one end. They get on each end of it, and they heave it over in the hole, and surely they can hear it hit. A few seconds later, a goat comes running up, jumps right in the hole. And they're looking bewildered. A few minutes later, another man walks up and says, Have any of you seen my goat? They said, well, you won't believe this, but we just saw a goat jump in this hole. He said, well, that wouldn't be my goat. He was tied to a railroad cross tie. (laughs) Now that goat was ambushed. (laughs) Same word right here. That's what it means. It's the same word that Jesus used in the parable of the Good Samaritan when it said a man fell among thieves. He was ambushed. That's the way trials happen. And not only that, they are various. The word divers or various, or it's the word basuio, which means we get our word variegated from that. It's also a phrase poikaloi or polka dot. We get our word variegated or polka dot They come in all kinds of ways. There's not just one test. There's not just one trial. They happen in so many ways. And the word trial means a test like a bird testing its wings to fly. Now, how do these come? What do they look like? Well, let me just name a couple of them. First of all, situations or circumstances. At the end of James in chapter 5, he mentions Job. Y'all remember Job? 
Job was a successful farmer and in a matter of 24 hours, lost his children, lost all his crop, had boils break out on his skin where he was suffering. And if that wasn't bad enough, and a little bit later, his wife came and said, if I were you, I'd just curse God and die. Job didn't like what was happening. Now, when it says count it all joy, I want you to understand something, and I'll cover this in just a second. It doesn't mean you have to jump up and down and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not joy. That would be stupid. (laughs) Joy comes from the inside. It comes from the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Happiness based on circumstances. Let me show you. James tells us to consider our trials pure joy. He doesn't mean we should say, wow, my life is falling apart. What joy. When he uses Job, listen to, listen to Job. I'm going to quote him. Why didn't I perish at birth? For now I would be lying down in peace, Job 111. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil, Job 126. If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would sure outweigh the sands of the seas. Job 6.1, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Job 10.1, sometimes we don't like our situations and it's okay to talk to God about it. But what I want to talk to you around, sometimes the trials are situations. I got amused at two seminary students who decided during the summer months they were going to evangelize door to door. And they were in Montgomery, Alabama area in the southeast, and it's very humid and hot during the summer. These guys parked their car out in front of a farmhouse, and they made their way up the sidewalk through a bunch of screaming kids and barking dogs, and they got up on the porch. They could tell this house had no air conditioning because there was a screen door, and through the screen door, they could see a woman over a wash tub washing clothes. They knocked on the door, and she came up. She wiped the hair out of her, off of her forehead and the perspiration out of her face. She said, what can I do for you? What do you want? And they said, well, we would like to share with you how you can have eternal life. <laughs> she paused for a moment and said, thank you, but I don't think I could stand it. <laughs> Job didn't consider his trials pure joy like you and I think of joy. But he says, he's not saying to you that you can't be honest with God. In fact, the more honest you are with God, the closer you can draw to him. Did you know it's okay to tell God you're mad at him? He can handle it. Trust me, he already knows. (laughs) Just because you don't say it doesn't mean he doesn't know it. But if you're going to walk with him, sometimes you have to say, God, I don't like this. But... Doesn't mean you're going to get out of it. Another test is society, people. Do people ever bother you? (laughs) It comes in all flavors. It can be your employer. 1 Peter 2.18 says, Be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Maybe your spouse. Do not say amen right there. 
First Peter 3 talks about unbelieving husbands and how wives can, through their testimony and through their life, maybe impact them for the Lord. It could be unbelieving people. Lost people don't like Christians. 1 Peter 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, not be, or nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. People, people can be a test. People can be a trial. And as long as you're in the world, you're going to have issues with people. Third test is self or the flesh. Do you ever have any desires and temptations Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And obviously, I can also tell you another test is Satan himself. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Be steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. James says, I promise you trials are going to come. You're going to have a hard time. Don't let those people on television that tell you that if you follow Jesus, everything, you'll never be sick, you'll never be poor. They are not telling you the truth. Either that or they've torn a lot of pages out of the Bible. Next thing he shares with us is the purpose purpose of trials. They produce something. Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Testing. Dokimos. A phrase used in the pottery industry in those days. And you got to remember, they didn't have electricity like we have. And even though we have electricity, there's no light like sunlight. And pottery makers sometimes would make a pot or a vessel and they would fire it in the kiln and then they would see that it had a crack in it, but they could cover it. They would, they would sometimes try to hide it with other glaze. And the only way you could see it was to take it out in the sun and hold it up and look at it and you could see the flaw. Dokimos, sun judged, the testing of your faith. If your faith, it's one thing to say you follow Jesus. It's one thing to say you have faith, but it's another thing when it's tested because a Christian is a lot like a tea bag. He's not worth much until he's been through some hot water. First Peter 1.7 says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Boeing, McDonnell Douglas, other companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars designing airplanes blueprints, schematics, models are built, construction of one plane, and then they wonder, will it fly? And so a test pilot comes and gets in it, and what does he do? He puts it through 
trials and tests. And you know what? We learn from our trials. At least we should. Do you learn from them? Surely you do. One second grader was reciting the account of David and Goliath to the Sunday school class. And he told how David took a slingshot and picked up a rock and he hit Goliath in the head and killed him. And the teacher said, and what do we learn from this story? And the little boy said, duck. (laughs) He didn't learn. (laughs) One man saw an advertisement, said, winter cruise, $100. So he went in. Is this true? Is the cruise $100? Absolutely. It's in cash. He pulled out $100, paid for it. They knocked him in the head, sent him down a chute, put him in an inner tube, put him out to sea. Before long, another man came in. Is this $100 cruise real? Yes. $100 cash. He paid $100, knocked him in the head, put him down a chute, put him in an inner tube, put him out to sea. Several hours later, these two inner tubes get close to one another. And one of them says, they serve meals on this cruise? The other guy said, they didn't last year. (laughs) He didn't learn, did he? Well, I want to tell you, the scripture tells us that there are eight purposes of trials. Now, I don't have time. That's a whole other sermon. But let me list them for you right quick. You could use, there are examples of these biblically but eight purposes for the Lord's allowing trials to come into the lives of people. First, to test the strength of our faith. Is it real? Second, trials are given to humble us, to remind us that our trust in the Lord can become presumptuous or we can become self-satisfied, that we can do it on our own. And trials teach us, (laughs) I can't do this on my own. I'm It humbles us. The third thing, God allows us to suffer trials in order to wean us from dependence on worldly things. We think that if we have all the money or we have all the security or whatever the world has to offer, we've got it made, and then trials come, and we realize this stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't help us. The fourth purpose of trials is to call us to an eternal and heavenly hope. Listen to me. The harder our trials become and the longer they last, the more we look forward to being with Jesus. A fifth purpose is to reveal what we really love. Abraham showed that he really loved God when he was willing to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. It proved his faith, but it also showed his love for God. Trials, number six, are given to teach us the value of God's blessings. We grow up thinking the world and the things of the world and our senses tell us to value pleasure and all the stuff of the world, but then trials come and we realize that God has given us his word and his care and his provision and his strength and, of course, his salvation. Seventh, the Lord uses trials to develop in his saints enduring strength for greater usefulness. You grow, you get stronger, you come through it and you learn and you say, God, you've made me stronger through this test. And eighth, the Lord uses trials to enable us to help others in their trials. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
And you, when you watch, when you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. I'm going to tell you, sometimes we don't always know the purpose of the trial. I'm just giving you some options here, but it may be that when we get home to heaven one day, that's when we finally say, oh, I understand. Nobody likes them. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic or scare you, but you're not going to walk through this world without any trials. And it's not God's fault. What's the But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The word for patient, there's a lot of words for the same word. Perseverance, steadfastness, endurance, fortitude, staying power under pressure without collapsing. You get stronger. Now, some people quit. The first time they go through a test or a trial or a difficulty, they said, I've had it with you, God, forget you. Instead of realizing that instead of getting bitter, they could get better by trusting in God himself and saying, remembering that Jesus said, I won't ever leave you or forsake you. I'm there with you. That's the one thing you can count on. And as you come through that, you're going to be stronger. While we were on vacation, we spent a couple of weeks in Branson on a lake in the hills. And I, and I walk fairly regularly here, but I decided I was going to continue walking there. And I, for about four or five of the 14 days we were there, I walked uphill. Now, for a flatlander and a fat boy, that is hard. <laughs> the first day I got to the top of that hill, I thought, I am going to lay down and die on this pavement right here. <laughs> but did you know by that second week, I didn't have to lie down. I was still breathing hard, but I was getting better. When you exercise, you begin to build stamina. I don't know if it's more blood vessels. I don't know what it is, but you begin to get more stamina. Trials produce that in us. And the word perfect there doesn't mean you're sinless. It means you're maturing. You're more complete. You're more whole. You have more wisdom. You understand what's going on in life. And those of you with hair color, the hair of mine, you, the color of mine, you know what 20, when you were 25, you, if you knew then what you know now, this would have been a lot easier. But we didn't know at that time, did we? But now I'm more mature. I'm more complete. I'm still growing. That's what he's talking about. And when you count it all joy, it doesn't mean that you enjoy the experience. You ladies that have given birth, you went through a lot of, a lot of uh, discomfort, pain, 
I mean, it started with discomfort, throwing up, most of you. And then you carried that child for nine months, and 